Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, for this afternoon together, this amazing blessing of being with one another. We bless you, God, for those that are here and for those that are enjoying your fellowship and communion around a game as well. God, we pray that you would draw us all closer together as you draw us closer to you and that we would continue to lay down our lives um, for you and um, with you for this kingdom that you are building in this place. Uh, We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Our topic this week is in the light. Now, last week, for those of you who are here, we read this verse. Now we we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The one who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. And we unpacked that quite a bit. We talked about how that didn't mean learning how to walk in the same style that Jesus walked or trying to figure out if there was a strut or a swagger. But it meant more um, pushing into understanding the first century discipleship system in the second temple period and trying to understand what type of context existed that would cause Jesus to be able to walk up to people who are in the middle of their work day and just say, come follow me. And they would drop everything and leave their profession and their livelihood and their family to go and follow him. So if you didn't catch up on that last week, um, that message is online and we hope that it helps to understand some of that context of what that would have meant. Um, That to walk like Jesus means to try to imitate him, to try to follow, to understand his interpretation of the text, to try to follow all of his commands. I know it's starting to get scary and heavy, but I'm just letting you know, discipleship with Jesus is not like a once a week study session for six weeks at a church, right? Like I'll just understand discipleship in a six-week program and then move on. It's this all-day, everyday thing. Now, um, also that we've also started, uh, Pastor Kevin started us in 1 John understanding the themes of life and light and darkness and the flesh of Christ in our midst. And in that too, we talked about the confession of sin. So, Even as you might be sitting here feeling deeply overwhelmed about what discipleship means and I can't do it, so I'm not going to sign up. I just want to let you know that we have somebody who's advocating for us the atonement for all of our sins. And it's not expected that you don't sin. It's not expected that you are a disciple without failure. That's Peter's big lesson, right? Where Jesus reinstitutes Peter at the end of the book of John. If you haven't read that, read where he brings Peter back, even though Peter has failed terribly. Right? It's not about perfection, it's about pursuit and passion. Now, as we move forward then, we can hear in Jesus's, even in this letter of 1 John, Jesus' teachings all the way back to John 14, 15. Um, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So for John to say, or for the author of 1 John to say way back then, right, um, anyone who wants to follow Jesus must walk as Jesus walked. This is not a new thing. Jesus said stuff like this too. In verse 23, Jesus answered, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. So this concept of like, you know, if you're going to follow me, you have to actually do what I say is something Jesus said, not just people later on who are trying to teach us about the life of Jesus. So in that message, then we learn that there's a big difference between giving mental assent to Jesus's teachings and Messiahship and being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple, right? There's a big difference from clicking a box 
on social media, Facebook, hospital form that says Christian, or checking all the boxes of a statement of faith, I believe this and this and this, which is certainly important. I grew up saying the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed on a weekly basis. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, you know, all of that. Shout out to my Lutheran friends. Um, So that is deeply important, but that is different. Simply agreeing with that is different than a fellowship of Jesus. And so now let's go into our next verse of what the the author, 1 John, is going to suggest is part of how we follow Jesus. He starts like this. In the beginning, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've heard since the beginning. Now, the author of the Gospel of John, the author of First John, is going to tag into this very long story, reaching all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And, and this author is going to pick up these themes over and over again. So my question is, 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 is First John saying, this isn't a new command, it's one from the very beginning of what? Of the creation of the world, of the beginning of Jesus' ministry? And I just want to say yes. I think that they would say yes to all of that. The old command is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Whoever hates... A brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. That's the end of our reading and our passage here in 1 John. So 1 John's going to talk about this in even greater capacity. But as we start to push forward, let's look at this theme of light and darkness and love and hate and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and how we are to love one another. Again, this is not new. Jesus said this back in John 13. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It feels like First John should just be doing quotes all the time. Jesus said this, and then Jesus said this, and Jesus said this. I'm just linking anybody right in grad school. Oh, maybe, maybe high school, an essay where essentially it was just quote after quote after quote from somebody else. And you just footnoted it constantly. Hopefully you footnoted it, right? And you constantly, I mean, it feels like that's what First John is doing, grabbing all of these Jesus quotes and continuing to do it. Now, this theme, though, of light versus darkness and love and hate and care and discipleship and love for one another is not new. It might sound a little bit to you and I like we're in Star Wars territory, right, with the light and the darkness and this big giant battle. But this imagery belongs to the very beginning of our book. First words God commands that brings action into the world is let there be light. The first thing that God ever speaks into existence in Genesis is light. So this theme of light is going to start to persist through our whole way. The psalmist picks it up with like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Jesus will grab it in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Continues with all of that, right? You're not going to light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket and put it on a lampstand. You want it to give its light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And here's this key we always don't pay attention to. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's actually about how we live. 
and how we behave. Not about shining really loudly, uh, Jesus is Lord. Yes, that proclamation is important. But if it's not followed up with how we live and the work that we do, then we're outside of the commandments of God. Uh, John will pick up this big theme right at the very beginning of the Gospel of John. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then, I am the light of the world, Jesus declares in John, and says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All of this imagery that First John grabs hold of belongs to the whole of our text in a lot of different ways. And so when John, the author of First John, starts to say hey, we want you to walk in the light. And if you are hating your brother, you have left all that God has created in this world to be good. You've left, if you are hating your brother or your sister, you are in darkness, you are blind, and you've left the very beginning of what God has created in this world that was good. The very thing God first spoke into existence, let there be light, we have walked away from that when we start to hate our brother or sister in our heart. And all of this imagery is actually very much some of the reasons why we're called Spark, for those of you who haven't been around for very long. Um, We wanted to talk about lighting, just sparking something in the darkness. And also recognizing that we're part of a very long journey, and we're not going to be the best light or the biggest light or the coolest light or the most relevant light. We're going to just be one more spark in the darkness where we can shine bright the truth of who we believe Jesus to be and we'll live that out in our life. And that's on display with how we love or how we hate. And the moment that we start to hate, we are separated from the light. Now, I think it's very easy for many of us in this room to point towards other people who are filled with hate and say their rhetoric is clearly hate-filled. Their platform is clearly sponsored by hate. And it's easy for me, at least, to look and say, see, those people hate, but I'm on this really loving side. That is until I read anything on any of these platforms, right? So whether it's Facebook or those of you who think you're better than the rest of us and you're on Instagram, which is basically Facebook, and then, um, you know, Twitter for the politically relevant ones of us and can only manage a few things, or those of you who are really ancient with MySpace and uh, irrelevant with Tumblr, whatever it might be, I'm just teasing, of course, but whatever it might be in those moments or in these moments, PC versus Mac, or in these moments where we see one or the other of these images, one or the other of these political parties, we immediately can start to feel like we're reacting and we're starting to say, yes, but that's, but they're wrong. And they are unjust. And I could tell even in making this slide how hard it was for me to agree to put up more flattering pictures than less flattering pictures of some of these individuals. Because I already have an issue where I'm like, well, I want to respond to the injustice. And when I start to respond to the injustice, I start to move to a place where I might, I don't know, maybe on a bad day, say something not very positive about some of these individuals. I want to note that I think that there's something different about being having a prophetic voice about an issue and about issues of justice and compassion and concern in the world. But I also think that on a very micro level, man, I got some work to do with trying to become a little bit more like Jesus, who loves both of these people and died for both of these people and is calling both of them into the light. 
So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What do you guys think it means? I asked my daughter, she's four, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? She said, to do what your mommy says instead of the kids. I was like, yes, that's exactly correct. (laughs) That's what it means to follow Jesus, (laughs) to obey. Good girl. All right, go read your Bible. Uh, No. um, So (laughs) she also said, um, you know, things like be kind and be loving. And um, we've read some books recently. So she has in her head, uh, there's this beautiful book called The Water Princess uh, about people that don't have water near their homes and have to walk for some distance to get it. And if you haven't read it to your children yet, please read it or read it to yourself. So she's like, uh, to give water to people, right? (laughs) To give water to thirsty people, to care for the refugee. So she's got some concepts for that, but she doesn't know exactly, right? And this is something I'm trying to do as a parent. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to love your neighbor? What does it mean to love your brother or your sister? What does it mean to love your enemy? Because these are Jesus's commands. So I have a little assignment for all of us in the room, and I know that we are introverted here at Spark, but we're just going to do it anyway. It's going to be super cool, okay? So here's what we got. We're going to divide you guys up into like one, two, three, four, five quadrants, or quadrants, fifths, got it? And and you get in that little small group. If you want to take notes on your phone, you can. Or if you want, like, old school pencil and paper, we've got that for you. And you're each going to go, like, you guys will be Matthew 5 and Matthew 16, okay? And then towards the back, you're going to be Matthew 25 and 28. And then you guys over here will be Mark 2 and Mark 6. And then John 11 and 15. And way in the back in the middle, you guys will be Philippians 2 and James 2, okay? Okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible, either old school or just go BibleGateway.com. It's super easy and you can just look it up really quick or, you know, your snappy Bible app or whatever you got. And I want you very quickly, high level, not in depth. I want you to tell me what you think are the distinguishing characteristics of either Jesus in the story, his actions in the story, or his emotional response in the story, or of those that are following him. Okay? So, for example, we just read that passage in John, and it says, uh, people will know that you are my disciples by your love. So you'd be like, okay, we are disciples of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, if we love one another. That's sort of low-hanging fruit. I gave you that one, okay? It's an open book test, all right? Don't stress out. There's no right or wrong answers. I just really want to understand, not from what I think Jesus is telling us to do, but when you and I read this text, what do you think it's saying to us? as to how we should live and behave in community. And we'll do this for about seven minutes, okay? So turn to a group and then decide. And then after this, we'll grab them. And one person from your group, whoever feels noisy, can stand up and say, we saw love, compassion, mercy, whatever it was, healing, okay? On your mark, get set, go. All right. Let's uh, come back together. And group one, or this group over here, Matthew 5, uh, verses 43 through 48, it was the section about loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. What were a few things that you would notice out here, and Kevin's going to scribe for us, would be characteristics of uh, Jesus or a disciple of Jesus? Whoever read Matthew 5, 43. That was you guys, right? Okay, go. Shout them out. 
like that it was action oriented. It was about your behavior. Okay. Not, as you said before, mental ascent. Um, it was about who you love. Uh, and it was about being different. Ah, being different. Interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, he says, well, if you just do what everybody else is doing, you're not being any different. So there's something there. So there's some distinction of a Jesus follower. Very nice. And you are to love. Love different. 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 Love different. What? Be different. And Loving different, praying different, being different in who you love and how you love. Nice. Action-oriented behavior. Great. There's a lot to unpack with each one of these, but we'll move to now Matthew 16 was the other portion you guys had. If any of you wants to become my followers, then let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What distinctives did you find in Jesus' followers here? Sacrificial love. Great. It's a tough one, right? This is, I felt like I wanted to cheat and only give you the easy ones, but love God, right? But I, I mean, I think these are things Jesus says. A willingness to suffer, I think. A willingness to suffer for another, yeah? And a call to action. A call to action. Ah, the whole idea of the cross and what that communicates to the people listening. And that was a Roman torture device, right? Uh, used to oppress a people. Yeah, there's some, there's some power shift in choosing that rather than having it be done to you. All right, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46 and following. You guys in the next group had that, right? Um, Jesus is saying he's right in front of the throne. He's painting a picture of what the end times will be, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. So what did you guys notice in that passage? A characteristic of a Jesus follower. Anyone? Uh, action. Uh, action again. Uh, God, glory. glory. Great. Okay, so when you're doing something for God, you might not know it because you're actually doing it for other people, but there's some sort of transitory property of that action that makes it that you're also doing it for God, okay? And what are the things that a Jesus follower does? Great. Great. So stepping out of our comfort zones, taking care of other people rather than ourselves, caring for them, all of the fruits of the Spirit in that. This is, by the way, one of the only, only one or two times that Jesus is sending in a parable people to hell. is the people that don't love, uh, don't care for the hungry, the thirsty, the imprisoned, or the sick. Um, those are the ones that go go that way <laughs> um, go to the bad place versus the good place yeah um, these are very tangible expressions do you think if the world saw Jesus followers 
always behaving like this that they might be able to distinguish us from others. You were talking about distinct action. Yeah. All right, who has Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20? Anybody grab that one or look at it all? Okay, great. Go for it. So um, that one was about making disciples again, getting out and, and um, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And the church, playing out the characteristics of Jesus. Um, well, actually, the characteristics of Jesus in that particular verse were um, being very, very present and, um, and available. Present and available. Good. Um, and I also see in this passage that Jesus followers make more Jesus followers, right? Make disciples um, that we baptize or immerse, and we also have to teach them to obey. That's, that's what I'm doing today. I'm just checking my box off. Just joking. Okay. Um, And doubt. Yes. Thank you so much, Jim. That it's okay to be a Jesus follower who shows up, worships, and doubts. Also welcome to Spark. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that that, you know, and there's only 11. So maybe it was Thomas who was already embracing the full doubting, right? Or continuing to do that in some pretty powerful ways. So this is after the resurrection. But I mean, this is after the resurrection. They've actually already, you know, touched and seen and they still doubt. Fair enough. Okay, who has Mark chapter 2? Great. Um, We know that this is where the friend brought the paralytic through the roof and Jesus heals him. We notice that Jesus heals and forgives, but also that in forgiving, he recognizes a hidden need that this person has and gives him forgiveness, even though he doesn't ask for that. And that the friends are committed. Nice. So Jesus, um, the friends are committed, helping, believing in Jesus, and that Jesus recognizes the need that's present as well as a hidden need that maybe other people haven't seen right away. So he's addressing the fullness of that. Um, And he sees the action of the friends, right? Um, Yeah, I like when there it says, let's see, um, he sees their faith. Verse 5. I like that part because I never thought faith was something you could see. But he sees their faithfulness, right, to put their belief into action. Yeah, and then you guys, beautiful. Um, So Jesus heals. Uh, Jesus does a miracle. Um, He cares for people on the outside coming in. Um, and, And it's not the faith of the paralytic that gains the healing. It's the faith of the friends. So I, I like that action that maybe a Jesus follower, somebody stands in place where it's like, I can't believe today. And then a friend comes along and says, it's okay, I can. Right? Uh, Mark chapter 2. What, who, what about Mark 6? Anyone grab that one? So Jesus is healing people, Mark six fifty three through 56, um, that people are rushing towards him, that they perceive him as 
a, a place to find healing, um, and that Jesus is a person that can heal, which is also challenging. I mean, I didn't include these verses, but there's a few places where Jesus is like, okay, so go do that, right? And I think uh, in my intelligent world, I like to just dismiss those verses where Jesus tells me to go heal people. I'm like, uh, can you give me till, till Tuesday of 2060 before I figure that out? Um, <laughs> yeah, amazing. All right, uh, who had the death of Lazarus? And yes, what did you notice in that story? So wait, let me just repeat so everyone can hear. So uh, Jesus is empathetic in this passage. He cries with them, cares for them, and he can bring the force of life into a place of death. So trusting Jesus in the face of enemy and death. And, and I love, too, in this passage where he says that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, right, will not perish but have eternal life. This is a crazy story because it's easy for us to go, well, Jesus loves and Jesus teaches us to love. But, oh, yeah, there's this laying down your life part. And now there's this a Jesus follower, somebody who does not grieve as one without hope. But stands at the tomb believing that life can come from death. If I wanted to tell my daughter one thing I would hope would distinguish her as a Jesus follower, it's like that you get to stand in the place where death reigns and darkness reigns, and you get to say, no, my God brings resurrection. Even when that doesn't make any sense. Even when they're like, it's going to stink. He smelleth, my Lord. Right? It's going to stink. All right, John 15. Who had John 15, 12 through 15? Also you. Uh, so this one was the big lay yourself down. So it was the idea of selfless love that God gives that we are also supposed to share that with others. We're called to do that. And also he says that we're his friends if we give yourself and others that you can. So Jesus calls us friend and calls us to lay down our life for one another, which is a very difficult thing to do. Right? And this selfless love comes to pass. All right, we've got two left. Philippians chapter 2. Anyone in the back want to shout out Philippians chapter 2? That's okay. You can do We have Philippians 2 and James 2. Go ahead. Woohoo! Go, Jason. Humble, makes himself like a servant, lays himself down, does not use his power over others. Wow. And that we are to, we are to be like-minded. Right? It's, very, it's a beautiful call. Okay. That one we just sit with for hours. Uh, James chapter 2. You all said James? 2? You want to shout out? So this one is 
So our love isn't a feeling only, right? And maybe we can't even feel how to feel that love for like enemy, for example, but it's an action and it has to be demonstrated in that action. That's part of the fall. I mean, I think the whole world would be shouting this at Jesus followers right now. Let me see it. Let me see how you will love. And I think ultimately, first, John, thank you guys. That was amazing. You're awesome. And I I hope it was sort of interesting fun. I learned a lot for your insights. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Uh, Pastor Kevin, by the way, has been preaching this morning. He catered for you all today because that used to be his job before we were all pastors 20 years ago. And uh, has also scribed and led worship. So thank you, Pastor Kevin. (laughs) The uh, laying down your life for others fully embodied in that servant nature today. And in my home. Our dishwasher's broken, so there's been a lot of laying down of our lives. Okay. Now, in all of this, and I think ultimately, this is what we're John, first John is saying, let there be light. When you love a brother or sister, there's light. And when you hate, there's darkness. And you're blind. Let there be light. Find a way to engage and love your neighbor, love your enemy. And let's be honest, most often those are people that live in our homes or in our circle of extended family or at our workplace or maybe even in our house of worship or in our town or in the powers and structures and principalities of our nation. I think oftentimes when I look at the world and when I look about all the things that I see sparkers caring about, it can feel like there's so much to do. And we have a lot to work on for sure. And we have events at Spark next week, uh, another month and a half from now, where, and we sponsor refugees, and we try to go march for DACA and Dreamers, and we try to extend ourselves in multi-faith groups so we can combat Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. And, and we try to find all of these different ways to uh, respond to the chaos in our world. But ultimately, I would say that every single one of these issues, because people can say, well, you have compassion fatigue, right? You should just pick, there's a lot of church stuff like you should just pick one issue and make that your one issue and not have to respond to all of the issues. World hunger, right? Like, let's say. But as we love our brother and our sister, as we walk in the light, as we start to embrace values that I see present in Jesus and in this world, um, as we try to inspire people to live in this way of Jesus, where we're loving God and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy, and we're pushing towards reconciliation, which is not about being nice to one another, but about tearing down the powers and the structures that oppress. When we look at teaching the text in such a way that causes us to feel moved and convicted and empowered, and yet also Um, humble and hopeful and engaged and forgiven and atoned for all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we look at rescue and ultimately resurrection, where we stand in the face of all these things and we go, you know what? The oppression of people in this world, the hurt and the pain, we could focus on that all day. For the rest of eternity, we can focus on all the hurt and the pain that has been done. And now, though, we want to invite all of you to come and light that light. That together we can come together. We can walk in that light. We can help somebody find a light in the darkness. We can start to love our neighbor. We can start to love our enemy. We can try to be the light. 
through the power and the grace of Jesus alone. We are invited into that process. Now when God looks into the world and God says, let there be light, God is not just talking about the sun and the moon and the stars, but God is talking about his people. Be light. Let there be light. Go love one another. And by that, the world will know that we are his disciples. Amen? Now, as a commitment to that process, would you join me as we come to the table honoring the beauty of Christ's life laid down for us? As Christ himself said on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As the worship team leads us through this song um, and continues to guide us through communion, as you're ready, you may come on your own and partake. And we are taking communion through in tincture, which is to take some of the bread and dip it into the juice um, when you're ready. Sparkers, may you be filled with the light and the love of God. And may that light transform how we live and how we act and how we behave and utterly obliterate the darkness. In the name of Jesus, amen.